Greetings in the Master's name and welcome to each one. You can open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6. Last Sunday we looked at Hebrews chapter 5 and today we want to look at chapter 6. Now this uh, chapter 6 is a part of the passage that starts in chapter 5 verse 11. It's a warning. Uh, it's the third warning uh, already in this book. The first warning was in chapter 2, the first four verses. Uh, the danger of neglect, it said, uh, and we've mentioned that before, how it says that uh, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? And, and, and I already mentioned this before, but I think, you know, a danger. To, I don't think there's any danger. I don't see a sense that we're not a people who reject the Lord. But we could neglect some things sometimes. We could get a little neglectful. I think in the parable of the sower, like that uh, was read this morning in devotions, that the one that's the most close to us is the one about the cares of life and so on, choking out the word. And so, so that that's a, that's a, a danger, a warning here. Then the second warning was chapter three, last part, uh, from chapter three seven to. Chapter 4, verse 13, it was a danger of unbelief, uh, a lack of faith, and uh, just a lack of confidence in God. Uh, he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek. It's an affront to God not to believe him, not to just accept what he said, the uh, promises he has for us and so on, because the struggles we have in life and so on. So now, you know, sometimes people just... They just almost get to the point where they feel like throwing in the towel. But we need to accept God's promises for us, um, tremendous promises. We need to have faith that he's going to win. And we'll get this in, in chapter 6 here about Abraham as a tremendous example of somebody accepting the promises and basing their whole life on them. Well, then here in chapter 6, starting at uh, verse five, uh, verse 11 in chapter 5, it's a uh, it's the danger of falling away. Uh, first of all, it's immaturity there at the end of chapter 5. We don't progress. person doesn't progress. And uh, so they fail to progress. They fall away. And it, it talks about uh, uh, dull of hearing. It talks about slothfulness, the danger of slothfulness. And uh, uh, there was a, a young man I knew one time long time ago he, he was uh he was in a family line that the uh, uh family was a fairly um how would you say um academically inclined or in other words, in other words learning came easy for him a, a lot of people in that family end up being teachers and lawyers and so on but uh when he was a young fellow in school i think i don't know if he was in 10th grade or what grade he was in and he said about these other students that just knocked themselves out to try and get a's he said he get a C. That's good enough for him. Well, he was very capable of getting A's, but he he just really didn't care. You know, he's kind of careless, and that's the way he approached his spiritual life too. And he ended up. Well, I'm not quite sure what the whole situation is now, but he ended up leaving his. I mean, his first marriage didn't last, and sent his second one, or I don't know if he's into his second one or not. But he just approached his whole life that way, and so the danger of being careless. And of course it talks about dull of hearing. 
and I thought about our hearing, you know, actually we've heard a lot in our lifetimes, um, you know, all the, all the blessings, all the opportunities we've had to hear the gospel and hear, hear the word expounded and so on. Uh, it's almost like running out of ears. Um, now, you know, but what discourages us sometimes is we don't always see it lived out. Even the person who's um, expounding the gospel, we don't always see it lived out. And, and, and sometimes that disappoints us. And um, actually it can be destructive, it can be devastating, it can end up destroying faith. People, you know, they look up so much to this person and then that person falls. I mean, we've seen that especially in the big time television churches and so on and, and the people fall and, and and then people that, you know, just was idolizing them. It's just so, so devastating and such a letdown. Um, but I, this is a statement you might disagree with and you think about it, but People will always let you down. Now, that sounds exactly the opposite of what our Sunday school lesson was about. We're supposed to encourage each other. But we're human. Sometimes we make mistakes. And so, we, we need to appreciate each other. We need to depend on each other. That's what brotherhood is all about. But people will let you down because we're human. They will make mistakes. And so our eyes have to be on Jesus. We have to be fixed on Jesus because people will let us down. Now, I don't, I'm not trying to over overemphasize that because most of the time we're supposed to be lifting people up. We're supposed to be encouraging each other. We're supposed to be examples to each other and so on. But because we're human, sometimes people will disappoint us. And so that's why I say and we have to always have our focus on Jesus. That's where our stability must be. And, of course, that comes out here in the last of this chapter 2, uh, chapter 6 here at the end of chapter also. Well, anyway, how is our hearing? He talks about in verse 11 of chapter 5 about dull of hearing. Do we hear the voice of God? Do we listen to the indwelling Holy Spirit? as he whispers to us, or sometimes he shouts. You know, you don't want to go there. But, you know, to the flesh, it's so enticing, or it just might be stimulating to our curiosity. But our conscience and our teaching and God's mercy is saying, danger, keep out, do we listen? Well, then, at the end of chapter 5, he talks about them being babes. And that strong meat belongs to those who have exercised. And so a simple way to say it is to grow, you must practice what you know. To grow, you must practice what you know. Okay, let's read chapter 6. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on into perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permit. 
For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. For the earth which taketh in the rain and that cometh oft upon it and bringeth forth herbs, meat for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected, and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. But, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you, and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have worked, showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints, and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and repentance inherit the promises. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no other, by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing, I will bless thee, and multiply, multiplying, I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into, and entereth into that within the veil, whither the forerunner for, is for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So it says, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, and that word principles there is, um, is the, um, the rudimentary or the beginning. Uh, I think the, um, the, the Greek word is arche, which means beginnings. So leaving the beginnings of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on into perfection. And the, and the word perfection means completeness, full growth. Um, I mean, we can, we realize that we never reach perfection in this life. We grow and we grow and, and we hopefully we grow and grow and grow. Read your Bible, pray every day and you'll grow, grow, grow. <laughs> you know, how you sing that song? Well, okay, so... Uh, but the word perfection means um, uh, maturity or completeness. So let's, let's, uh, let's go on to maturity and not laying again the foundation. And he, he mentioned six things here. Repentance, faith, baptism, laying on of hands, resurrection, and judgment. And he says, let's leave those. Now, he doesn't mean that you forget them. He's just saying, that's the foundation, and let's build on that foundation. In other words, repentance, and okay, so there's actually kind of three categories here. Uh, the Two of them have to do with salvation, like um, repentance and faith. Two of them have to do with ordinances, baptism, laying on of hands. And two of them have to do with the final state, resurrection and judgment. And so... If all we think about and talk as these things are really important, these six these six things are really important. But if 
if all a person thinks about or talks about or or actually preaches about as far as preachers are concerned is you know you know repent and believe uh that that's that's first step uh but you need to go on from there and ordinances you know a person can talk and talk and talk about proper mode of baptism well we need to okay baptism is important but that's all we can talk about we need to go on um and uh, and then the final state resurrection judgment i mean People, some people can go on and on and on about prophecy, and prophecy is important. And and, uh, and and how's it going to be? How's it going to? How are things going to wind up here at the end? You know, and there's books written, all kinds of sensational books been written about that. Well, yeah, they're all important, but uh, go beyond that. I um, I did want to read here something I read um, as far as repentance and faith. Um, I thought was very good these foundational things repentance is such a sorrow for sin that the one who sins will seek to turn away from it with all his heart one cannot remain in a life of sin and disobedience to God and still honor the Lord repentance is a deliberate willful turning away from sin and following after God that's foundational Faith toward God. Faith is the state of the mind in which the things of God become gloriously certain. The things pertaining to God and salvation cannot always be explained in a logical and scientific way. True saving faith is the kind that results in obedience. So leaving the principles and going on, uh, one writer said, the writer does not... the." Uh, the writer of Hebrews does not mean that these simpler teachings are to be forgotten or denied or neglected, but that the attention is not to be limited to them. So leaving these beginnings, these rudimentary truths, and then, and so he's saying in verse three, he says, this will we do if God permit. So he's, he, he said, so chapter seven, eight, nine, ten are talking about the high priestly work of Christ. Christ is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. That's what he wants to get into. And he said there's some deep things there that, that, that I want to explain. But, you know, I'm saying, are you ready for it? You know, have you are you ready for these deeper truths? And in verse 3, he says, this will we do if God permit. But then he's still back, he's still in this warning. It's not till chapter 7 that he actually starts into those things. Um so the warning here, and I think these verses, four to six, I think are some of Satan's favorite verses. Um, it says, impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again to repentance, seeing they crucified themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. And Satan has used that over and over and over to trouble people. You know, that they, <clears throat> have they, have they gone too far? Have they, you know, and, they, and there's no coming back, you know. And Satan, he, he just hits people with that over and over and over. So I say, I think these are some of his favorite verses. Um, <clears throat> temporary, <clears throat> temporary backsliding is very different from a deliberate denunciation of Christ. Now, these verses, I think they mean what they say. It says it's impossible for those who were once enlightened 
and so on to renew them again to repentance. If they fall into the categories of what this is talking about, it says it's impossible. And there's a lot of books been written to try to say it is possible. In other words, okay, there's a, okay, there's a lot of books been written to say it's impossible for people to lose their salvation. Well, here it says that it's impossible for them to, to come back if they meet these, if they actually fall away like it says here. Uh, it's impossible. That's what the word means. For those who were once enlightened and have tasted. And some of, some people try to get around this passage by saying, well, you know, they they tasted it and they had a little light and so on, but they just never acted on it. Well, that word tasted, you look back in chapter 2, verse 9, I think it is. Yes, we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that by the grace of God should taste death for every man, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Jesus tasted death. He experienced it to the full. And so when it says they have tasted the heavenly gift, it means they've experienced it. They've had it. They were believers. If they shall fall away to renew them again to repentance. Um, and so apostasy here, the writer to the Hebrews, he's very concerned about apostasy. And so apostasy is falling away, not falling into sin. Judas fell away. Peter backslid. That's the difference. And so don't confuse apostasy and backsliding. Apostasy is turning away from Christ. It's a complete abandonment of the Christian faith. Uh, one writer said, The passage in Hebrews 6 alludes to falling away. A deliberate renunciation of Christ as the only Savior. The reference is not to a stumbling in the way, but to a departing from it. I'd say at the same time, though, don't minimize the danger of backsliding. Um, another writer said, Thousands today who live and persist in various unlawful indulgences have an unshakable belief that they are eternally predestinated for salvation. They worship the money God, the pleasure God, the sex God, and believe that God has made special provision for them so that they can never be lost. Satan has no greater deception than this. So backsliding, too, is dangerous. But it's not quite the same thing as or at least at the beginning at the beginning. maybe it's possible for a person to backslide to the point where they come to apostasy where they turn their back on Christ and where they repudiate the faith but it's two different things apostasy is turning one's back on Christ repudiating the faith and I a person you know here as human beings we leave things in the hands of God and we, we must be careful not to be judgmental, but. And you probably have acquaintances, relatives, the same, but I was thinking about a couple of my relatives. Um, one of them um, got, a, got a degree in the science field, and um, 
I think you might say he accepted the mythology of science, the uh, origins of the universe and man and so on. And, and I know when some of the family would visit and so on, they didn't even want their children read Bible story books. I mean, they had just turned against all that. And I think that's what this passage is talking about. Uh, um, another relative, uh, and, and I like him, he's just one year older than me, but uh, he basically has turned his back on the Christian. He's a nice guy, but I'm not quite sure why or what. And and um, he and his wife are retired now. They had they had good jobs, and they retired. They do a, had done a lot of traveling, and and um, actually, it's very interesting. He's he's looked very much into Anabaptist history. He's very interested in that from a heritage viewpoint, I guess. Um, but like one time, he was traveling in India, and my um, my aunt said, "Well, he's over there trying to find God," because see, he's. Re rejected the God he was brought up with. And there there may have been reasons for that. I mean, him growing up, he probably saw a fair amount of hypocrisy and and uh, uh, church leaders not holding to the um, inerrancy of the word and its practical applications of it and so on. But anyway, that's that's apostasy. For the backslider, repentance and restoration is a possibility. But when a person chooses a constant attitude of hostility toward Christ, repentance is impossible. As long as individuals feel they need to repent and they want to repent, they've not gone too far. And I think that's a like if like I say, Satan troubles people with this, and I think that's a good thing to remember. As long as a person feels a need to repent, as long as they want to repent, they haven't turned their back on Christ. They want to repent. And so uh, it's good to keep in mind. Well, verses 7 and 8 talk about God's blessing. And so, you know, God... God blesses, it says here, and it's used in a natural illustration, um, the ground that brings forth crops um, is, uh, that's good. Ground that just has nothing but weeds and it doesn't produce, it's uh, reject. In other words, God wants to see fruit in our lives. We're supposed to be growing. We're supposed to be bringing forth fruit. Now he says in verse 9, he's given these warnings, but he said, we're persuaded better things than you. Now he's, he's, he's saying, you've you got some room to grow. You've got some weak spots. But um, now he's given a word of encouragement. And he says, God isn't unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love that you've showed toward his name and so that that labor of love and we actually that was a little bit what our our Sunday school lesson was about you know uh, encouraging each other and and it says your labor of love which you have showed toward his name and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister now I read this illustration it was actually not to the saints uh, but 
it was given as an illustration of labor of love. It's kind of a um, powerful, startling uh, illustration. It said, uh, this was 1979, Vladimir Bojev, a tough, hard-drinking Russian unbeliever, barged into a Christian service one Lord's Day and threatened to kill the people who were in the audience. But one of the Christians in that assembly suggested that he gather around Bojev and pray for him. Bojev was visibly moved by the evidence of their concern and love for him. He came back to the services and later received Christ as his Savior. Bojev said, Their love won me to Christ and I was converted. Well, we know that things don't always turn out that way. And uh, we're quite aware of some of the <clears throat> mass shootings and so on here in the U.S. But uh, that was... Um, that one, that one person, he was not, he was not fearful. He said, let's gather around this man and pray for him. That powerful. Well, <clears throat> he's encouraging him here in verse 11, uh, challenging him to uh, show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope and to the end. Uh, diligence is earnestness. Um, Full assurance of hope, complete confidence, complete confidence, and it says unto the end. Um, and to not be slothful. So don't be slothful. Um, the warning, the concern, the caution that he's been giving here. But to have that faith, that diligence, that assurance unto the end. <clears throat> there again, faith. <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> Faith is confident dependence on God. Uh, and it talks about uh, a patient endurance and perseverance. Uh, we have, what does it say here? Uh, and so after he had patiently endured, he had in, obtained the promise. The promises we have of God, it, like in 1 Peter, it's 1 Peter 3, it, and all the things that God has promised us, but we endure unto the end. Uh, and it gives the example of Abraham. God, we don't know how old Abraham was when God told him to leave Iran. Haran, Haran, however you say it there. And we don't know, see, do we know how old he was when God promised him a son? But anyway, it was years and years. And God promised him that all nations would be blessed through him. And when he was 100 years old, he got one boy. But he believed God's promises. Did he see it? Did he see the fulfillment of it? Well, he had one son. And in spite of all the seeming impossibilities, Abraham believed God. It, it, it is a tremendous example for us. I mean, the, the promises in the word, there's a lot of them. And do we base our life on them? Do we base our life on what God has promised us? And I think I've told you this before, but, you know, sort of my, my life motto, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. And that, that, there's a promise in that verse. 
All these things should be added unto you. It's the end of the passage there where it talks about God taking care of the birds and the flowers and everything. And uh, so has God taken care of me? I mean, I don't have any earthly estate like most people do. Uh, but did God promise that? God didn't promise that. He just promised to take care of me. And he has. That's just one promise out of hundreds. So, they're there. They're there. And God, it says, two immutable things. What God told Abraham is based on two immutable things. One was his promise and the second was his oath. And you know, we're not supposed to swear oaths because when you swear an oath, it's like you're saying, I'm going to do so and so under God. And it's like I'm calling on, and who, who am I to say what I'm going to do? You know, God, God said, you can't, you can't make one hair white or black. You just say yes or no. You don't, you don't swear that you're going to do so and so. You're going to do the best you can, but you're just a human. But God is kind of interesting. I guess God does things just because of our... Um, uh, just to um, help us out in our weaknesses, maybe, or something. Uh, because if God promised that that's all he needed, but then he he made an oath based on himself that he was going to do it. It's, it's kind of strange, actually, but uh, it, it, it was just a double guarantee to Abraham that he's going to do this. Well, all the promises of God are just as sure to us as what that one was to Abraham. So, So he's saying here, you know, don't, don't fall away. Don't turn your back on Christ. Don't give up. We have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Um, uh, oh, I was thinking about Abraham, you know, and it says about how he, he patiently endured. Well, he did, but and, and I think this can maybe be an encouragement to us. He had the promise. He patiently endured. Well, he did have Ishmael. And so, he believed God. Yeah, I think he believed God. But, uh, In his humanness, he he and Sarah threw a little human reasoning into it. I guess say it that way. Um, and so sometimes I guess we try to help God out too. So anyway, all those can all those things can, can be instructive to us. So he fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before him. I don't know if there's a reference here at all or not. The, these Hebrews, they, they knew the Old Testament ways very well, and they had the city of refuge. Maybe, maybe I could just make an application there. Maybe it, no reference to that at all. But uh, in the city of refuge, as long as they stayed in the city of refuge, they were safe. But if they left it, they weren't safe anymore. And so Christ is our refuge. As long as we stay in Christ, we're safe. But, but the parting is 
dangerous. And we have this hope as an anchor of the soul and sure and steadfast. So we have refuge. We have the anchor. And we have Christ as the forerunner. And it's interesting there, the last verse, it says, whether, whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies once a year, nobody could follow him. I mean, what do they say? That, that he had a rope tied around him so that something went wrong and there he didn't do things quite right, take it and he died, they could pull him out. Forget that. I think that's, we read that sometimes. But anyway, nobody could follow him in there. When Christ went into the Holy of Holies, the veil was rent, and we can follow him in. So we have, we have all these provisions. In the, in the midst of the storms of life, in the midst of the disappointments that come, in the midst of the unknowns, we have, we have this, we have this anchor. And so... Um, somebody said it this way, as we face the mysteries and uncertainties of life, what can we trust? Whom can we believe? What is there to hold on to in the midst of storms that toss our ships from side to side? It is the hope that has been set before us. And we sing this song sometimes. It's in the hymnal, I think. We have an anchor. We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. We have an anchor. We have an anchor in the trials of life. And uh, I told you here, I think here sometime back, you know, when, when I had pretty severe emotional struggles that the verse uh, there in John 6 where Jesus said to Peter, or no, he said to the disciples, will you also go away? And, and, and I think it was Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. We have Christ. Regardless of what happens in our lives, we have Christ. He's, the, he's an anchor. He's an anchor. Yes. And I was thinking about this, this passage, these passages, what we said last Sunday and this Sunday, you know, the necessity of hearing, the necessity of growing, the necessity of bringing forth fruit. All those things are part of the Christian life. But we could get to the point where we start thinking about how, that, it, that it's us. Well, we need to give diligence to the Christian life, that's for sure. But it's not just our effort. It's not, it's not, it's not all up to us. It's, it's all up to us in a sense, our choices and how we exercise ourselves. But we're not, it's, it's not our own, it's not our own energies and not our own efforts. Uh, the verses in, the verses in uh, of Philippians, Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, I, I need to turn to that, uh, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And that's really helped me sometimes over the years. You know, I feel like that I'm not doing very well. I'm not doing as good as I could. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's going to see me through. As long as my heart and my face, as long as I'm turned towards him, he's going to see me through. 
And then there's another one in Philippians that says, um, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So it's God that works in us not to give us the desire and the power to do right. It's God working in us. Jesus said in the in the in the, in the, the vine the vine and the branches chapter, "Without me, ye can do nothing." And we need to remember that. Without Jesus, we can do nothing. So we have to keep our eyes on Him. We have to look to Him. We just yeah abide in Him. We have to remain in Him. Well, that's what this chapter six is talking about: remaining in Him. Abiding in him, not turning her back. And so it, so he, it said uh, at the end of chapter 4, let us come boldly, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. So Christ, Christ, over and over, Christ. Another song we sing, sort of like that anchor song, on Christ the solid rock I stand. That song starts out, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. My hope is built on nothing less. And then, so I'll close with a thought in verse chapter 2, verse 9. But we see Jesus. Always keep our eyes on Jesus. 